0: The subject of DSLR cameras versus mirrorless comes up pretty regularly and it's certainly been a moving target as mirrorless cameras have been evolving quite a lot over the last few years and uh, this is something I've spoken about a few times and in this podcast I just want to talk about it in relation to wildlife photography. So I have touched on this in other podcasts but just thought it was worth doing a short podcast looking specifically at the differences between DSLR and mirrorless cameras and looking at which is the most appropriate for what you want to do. So I'm going to start with, um, I guess, where the market is at the moment is probably a good place to start. So mirrorless cameras are really beginning to dominate the market. And that has pros and cons. So if you are looking at a mirrorless system, they're still on the move um, in terms of development and where the technology is going. That doesn't mean to say that you need to hang on until the technology has changed because it's, I think, reached a point now where most cameras uh, will probably do what most photographers want them to do. It's only when you're at the extremes of um, particular types of photography that you might find uh, that mirrorless is... Fall short maybe in some areas. On the other hand, DSLR cameras have pretty much stopped development as far as I'm aware with most manufacturers now, and I guess the advantage of that is that buying a new system, if you're going down the DSLR path, is more cost effective money wise. As again, as long as the camera does what you need it to do. So if you don't have a camera, if you're thinking about buying one. And you're trying to decide which way to jump. Probably the budget way to go is is still probably to go DSLR. And I say that because you've still got the options of lenses and um, the the chance to improve your system without spending too much money. On the other hand, if you're looking at a longer term investment, it's probably well worth looking at mirrorless. But it's good to understand the pros and cons between the two before you make a final decision. So I'm going to start with size and weight. That's typically where most people look at the difference between systems. And on the whole, although it's not always true, um, a mirrorless camera will be smaller and lighter than the equivalent DSLR. And the primary reason for that is that a DSLR camera, um, you'll notice it has a viewfinder on the top, a mechanical viewfinder. So it's all done through a mirror and prisms so that you're looking um Directly through the the uh, the prisms, uh, lenses and the prisms to, at term um, what you're going to shoot. So you're looking directly through the lens, and that's what um, single lens reflex cameras, which is where this all started with film. Uh, that was one of the advantages of them that you're looking through the lens, and with single lens single lens reflex, you can also change lenses. So that's the sort of underlying advantage of that system, and why it became so popular in the film error, let's say, um, and um, DSLR is simply a digital version of it. So instead of having film behind the mirror, you've got a digital sensor. And in order to get that live and real view through the viewfinder, you've got a mirror that mechanically flips up. So it's a physical mirror in front of the sensor, and it flicks up when you press the shutter button. And that way, whatever's coming through the lens then hits directly onto the sensor. So that's why if you're looking through, it will go black at the moment uh, that you hit the shutter button. That's because the mirror has flipped up, so you can no longer look directly to the, through the lens. So obviously mirrorless, as the name implies, that mechanical mirror is no longer there. So what you have is um, an electronic viewfinder. If you have a viewfinder, and this is where you get the, um, the screen on the back, even with DSLRs, what happens when you use the screen is that you're looking at the sensor, so the mirror will flip up, so that you're now looking at what the ca- what the sensor is seeing, which is fine. Um, it gives you a nice, accurate view of what you're seeing, but it has disadvantages if you're in bright light in certain situations. So um, probably people of my generation who grew up with film cameras and are used to looking through the viewfinder, it's still the natural thing to do, and I don't tend to use the... LCD screen on the back of my cameras, unless I'm doing uh, remote control on them. And I'm typically in a studio sort of environment. Uh, Not always, sometimes it's outsized, but that's typically how I'll use it. But with the mirrorless, you've got this electronic viewfinder. And either you've got a viewfinder, some cameras have that, some you just look at the back of the camera. So that's the primary thing. And certainly with the bodies, first of all, they will tend to be lighter, although it's not always the case. So I've got some numbers here. So I've got the Canon R5, which is um, one of the better mirrorless cameras that Canon offer. That has a weight of 738 grams. And the equivalent would be something like the Canon um, EOS 5D uh, Mark VI. And that's um, another 150 grams heavier. So that's around 890 grams. You're starting to get towards a kilo in weight. And... That weight is important if you're going to be carrying the camera over any kind of distance. If you're doing a lot of wildlife, if you're going to places, certainly the kind of places I've been, where I've been hiking for hours to actually get to um, see the animal I want to see, that weight can be an important consideration, particularly when you take into account the weight of the lenses. Now, typically they're lighter as well, but lenses are a whole other issue. And I'm going to come to them in a little while. However, that change in weight isn't always in that direction. So an example I was reading about very recently, I was reading an article and they were talking about the Nikon Z9 and it's actually over 300 grams heavier than the Nikon D850, which um, I understand is an equivalent. I'm not a Nikon user, um, not to so say there's anything wrong with them. I think which camera make you use is purely down to your preference, how They operate if a camera feels good to use to you, then that's probably the one to go as long as it has all the features and options that you need for your photography. So it comes down to what features you need on the camera. And again, if you don't know what you need, it's good to start out with something that doesn't cost you too much money because the chances are that you're going to change both body and lens and maybe to a completely different manufacturer. So I would say initially go for something that's relatively low cost or borrow one if you can and it doesn't really matter what it is but just start working with it and then you'll quickly get to see what features it doesn't have where the shortcomings are in that in, in that particular camera setup and from there you can i like to write a checklist of what i actually need in the camera system I'm going to really start investing in now the the key thing i've mentioned that with the DSLR, you're looking through a viewfinder and it's mechanical. So you've got a, a prism in there, you've got a mirror um, in the the camera body itself, and you're looking out through the lens. So, to, in order to use that, you don't you're not using um, you're not drawing power from the battery. And what the um, the way the mirror system works is that when you're just looking through the viewfinder, the aperture in the lens is actually forced open. So the the mechanical Aperture is as big as it can get, as open as it can get. So you've not, you say that you've got a nice bright image in the viewfinder. Obviously, when you're using an electronic viewfinder or the screen on the back of the camera, you're now drawing more current from the battery in the camera. And this can be the biggest drawback um, with mirrorless cameras. And although it's probably getting better, I think, um, and definitely. Um, battery technology is certainly evolving, so the batteries are getting more efficient. It does mean that you're going to be taking substantially fewer photographs on a mirrorless camera. So again, an, an example I have here is comparing a Canon EOS Five D Mark Four. Sorry, it should have the Mark Four, not Mark Six you'd expect to get around 900 photographs out of each battery. Now, that that also depends on other things, so the temperature, um, other things using on the camera, but 900 is a reasonable um, sort of number that you would expect to get from a fully charged battery. If you compare that to the R5, you're going to be getting in the the region of 320. So it's around a third um, of the total of the DSLR camera is what you would expect to get with a mirrorless camera. Now, this obviously is just a, a very rough rule of thumb because the um what you will get depends on the number of things and also the age of the batteries will be a factor as well. Something where you have or you might have a useful advantage in the mirrorless camera is actually in the, the frame rate. So the, the the actual burst speed that you can get. So typically on um a mirrorless camera, because it's using um, an electronic shutter rather than a mechanical shutter, you're going to get um, a greater frame rate. So, for example, um, on the five D, you're likely to get a maximum rate of uh, around seven frames per second, and um, on the R5, using the uh, uh, even their mechanical shutter is faster. Um, that gives you 12. But if you go on the electronic, you're going to be getting around 20 frames per second. Do you need 20 frames per second? And that really comes down to it or or is a slower um, frame rate fine for what you're doing? I mean, if you're just doing um, architecture, for example, uh, you don't need a high frame rate. If you're doing uh, motorsport or sports photography, then a higher frame rate is is definitely useful. And again, with wildlife, uh, if I've got an animal sat in a bush... (laughs) or on a tree probably don't need a very great frame rate although it's nice to take short bursts because you do get a a variety and uh, you can uh, monitor you can record what what an animal is doing but if you've got say um a cheetah taking chasing an animal to make a kill or something like that then a high frame rate is very useful and being able to have a long sustained burst as well is just as important so, for example, when I was photographing humpback whales, it was good to have a high frame rate and a long burst duration when a whale was breaching because I then got lots of images of the, the sequence to make a sequence of photographs of that breach. But what I mean by the um, the burst duration is um, I found... I use a Canon EOS 5 um, DS as as my primary body, That really has a duration of about two seconds at full um, frame rates, so which is just about okay for a whale breaching because that's all over in a second or two anyway. But trying to photograph something like dolphins uh, where they're um, basically swimming and they're porpoising out of the water, which means they're just out of the water and then back in again, but very, very fast. It's less than a second. It's much better to have a a camera that will have a fast frame rate but also a long duration so five six seconds is great because then you've got a nice sequence of images because in that situation it's impossible to focus and shoot on an individual animal It, it all happens way too fast so I would tend to use an EOS 7D Mark II that I use as my secondary body it's not a full frame camera which means that the file size that are being ra- written to the um, cards inside the camera body, the file sizes are smaller, but it does mean that I can shoot at maximum frame rate, which I think is, I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but I think it's actually faster than the, um, the 5D anyway. Um, but also I can do that burst for a longer period, which means something like dolphins where I can't focus on an individual it means I might be taking 20 or 30 frames and um, I in that number of images, the chances are I've got something usable in that. And, and there's, a, in fact, one of my dolphin pictures that's in one of the collections was shot that way and I'm really pleased with it. I, I think it's a lovely shot, but I couldn't have achieved that shot trying to focus and shoot on an individual animal. It all happens way too fast. Okay, now... I'm not a user of um, mirrorless, to be honest, and I gather there are some things that can happen, like the way their shutter works. uh, It's kind of a rolling shutter, so it can distort things um, a little bit. So it's just something to be aware of. So, again, if you're doing, say, photographing car wheels, something like that, that's the kind of thing where the wheel can get distorted a little bit. So, again, before you commit yourself, ideally you want to borrow the kind of camera you want to use and just shoot your normal subjects and just get a feel for how you get along with the camera, because I think one of the key things is being able to get into it and do the things, make the changes you need to make most often very easily. So whether it's aperture, shutter speed, certain other setups you might use frequently, if they're really difficult to do on the camera, that's going to be a problem as well. So you want the camera use to be as easy as possible so that you're going to to use it a lot, you're going to get the best value from it. Okay, now autofocus is another thing where mirrorless definitely has an advantage. So typically on a DSLR, you're going to have in the region of, say, 60 or so focal points. So that's points within the viewfinder, let's say, or within the frame that the camera will actually focus on. And um, this is important where you're photographing moving subjects. So I tend to um, not use zone focusing. I'll use a single focal point in the center of the viewfinder to get mine and I use back button focusing as well so I can um, set my focal distance using the autofocus system in the camera but then recompose my shot knowing that things are going to be in focus now when you go on to um, uh, mirrorless cameras you're likely to have a lot more maybe in the order of almost 100 times more points so an R5 um, has um, just under 6,000 points that it will focus on. Now, where this becomes a real advantage is, is when you're using one of focus tracking, either on eyes or a vehicle. So if you've got an animal coming towards you, uh, these focal systems will track that animal and reset the focus for you as, as it comes towards you. So you don't have to be constantly changing the focus, you know, and refocusing on the subject. So that I would say is a very big advantage for for what I do, uh, knowing that once I've told the camera what I need it to focus on, as that focal point changes, I know the camera's adjusting and refocusing for me. So that, um, and and there are definitely situations where um, I've had to, I had to be constantly changing my focus because the animal's coming towards me or moving away. So that, I would say, is a definitely a big advantage. In terms of resolution these days, um, on the whole, um, mirrorless tend to have a slightly better resolution, so that's your megapixels. So, um, for example, the Canon um, 5D Mark IV has a 30-megapixel sensor. The R5 has a 45-megapixel. Ultimately, is that important? It depends, again, on what you're planning to do with your shot. So I'm taking photographs that I want to blow up to um, give me images that are uh, big enough to hang on a wall. So, you know, maybe A0 or certainly A1 and above. But also what you have to bear in mind is that I use other software to get images that big. So I use a thing called... Um, Gigapixel from Topaz Labs, which allows me to um, ex- get my image or my file six times greater uh, using an intelligent algorithm to to, um, to make the finished um, result very good. So if you're going to be doing that, you probably want to get your initials sh- um, shot your initial file size as big as possible how big does it need to be well that again depends on what you're planning to do with it so the other extreme of that is just shooting for social media well honestly pretty much any camera that you pick up is going to have a good enough resolution for you and you might even want to step down the resolution that the camera is shooting at because when you do that uh, most cameras will allow you to um set up the file size that you're you're going to be storing. If you're shooting a smaller file size, so going for a smaller resolution than the camera offers, what that tends to do is it means first of all you can store a lot more photographs on the um, the memory cards in your camera. It also means things like shutter speeds and burst lengths tend to get shutter speed maybe faster, burst durations, definitely longer because the, the burst duration tends to be limited by how quickly the camera can write those digital files onto the uh, the memory in the camera. Obviously, if it's a smaller file, it will write much faster. So these things will all have a bearing on what you can do when you're in front of your subject. So again, that's something to um, just just look at. Now, another thing is image stabilisation. So you can think of this a bit like a suspension system on a car. Image stabilisation is useful in the mid-range when you're hand-holding. So what I mean by that is that if you're shooting at a very fast shutter speed, and I tend to do this, um, certainly with things like whales, because the whale's moving, I'm on a moving boat, I'm probably turning anyway to get onto the whale. So I need to be shooting in thousandths of a second, and I'll typically be between one and four thousandth of a second on my, um, my shutter speed, image stabilization at that speed is pretty much irrelevant because your shutter speed is taking care of any minor movement there might be. So an image stabilization system is unlikely to be effective at that sort of shutter speed. At the other end of the range, if you're doing a long exposure, um, I, I mean, really, Astro and things like that are one extreme of that, where you do many, many seconds of exposure. But if you are doing a long exposure, the chances are you really want to be on a tripod because if you try and hand-hold it, it, it's just too long. It's it's just too hard for any system to compensate for you. However, in that mid-range where you are likely to be hand-holding the camera, this is where image stabilisation can be very useful and here I'm talking about shutter speeds in the range of say 1 15th of a second so that's definitely pushing things when you handhold, but it's it's possible but this is where the electronics in a camera can make the difference between um, a, a, a sort of shaky out of focus fo- um, image and a nice sharp in focus image so What do they? What's the difference? Well, with DSLR cameras, the image stabilization system is usually, I think, always. But I'm not going to say always. But as far as I'm aware, it's usually in the lens itself. So you need to buy a lens with image stabilization built in. Sometimes there is more than one type of stabilization depending on what you're doing, but it will be in the lens. That means the lens itself is going to be more expensive, and Just to give you um, an idea on that, with the 5D, uh, the Canon 5D uses the EF series of lenses. So currently, I believe there are 257 EF lenses available. Of those, only 77 actually have image stabilisation built in. So it's something to be aware of. Now, the difference with a mirrorless system is that the image stabilization tends to be built around the sensor rather than the lens so that means you've got a consistent stabilization system there first of all it doesn't vary on the lens and also it doesn't matter what lens you're using you still have image stabilization and currently the R5 to give you an idea has around 34 lenses so it doesn't matter what lens you get you Got image stabilization there already, so there is something to um, to bear in mind. But again, do you need it? Now you'll also see on the image stabilization the number of stops that stabilization will give you. Now that might not be obvious what that means. So just to give you um, a, just an example to give you an idea, if you're tuning at one fifteenth of a second. If you have an image stabilisation that gives you say three or four stops, if your image stabilisation is set to four stops or that's what's available, shooting at one fifteenth of a second with four stops on your image stabilisation means that you are shooting at an equivalent of 1 125th of a second. So you can think of it as giving you the equivalent of a faster shutter speed. And that can make the difference, as I've said, between having a nice um, sharp image rather than one that's got some some blur due to um, lens movement in it. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about lenses as we sort of got onto them because one of the things you will find is that DSLRs certainly currently have a lot more options when it comes to the lenses that you can use with that camera and the mirrorless cameras are a long way behind over time obviously that that gap will narrow the and again i think most manufacturers are not developing any new lenses for their dslr systems all the development is going into the mirrorless lenses so again the the key question is do you have the focal lengths and the lenses that you would normally use so here i'm thinking Um, particularly zoom lenses because I tend to use zoom when I'm out doing wildlife photography because it gives me uh, it means I'm not carrying a lot of lenses I don't usually have the opportunity to change lenses in fact if I want to switch from say a telephoto to a wide angle um, setup I'll I'll generally have the two bodies and uh, one camera one body will have a long lens on it the other body will have um, a wide angle on it so that's how I switch between telephoto and wide angle so if that's how you're planning to use the cameras, then you need to make sure that you've got the lenses available to give you the uh, focal length ranges that you need, whether that's using a fixed focal length or a zoom lens. Um, you need to make sure they're available for the uh, the camera that you need. The other thing I would say is that my lenses, I tend to keep the lenses much longer than I keep the bodies. This um, is sometimes because... Developments in bodies, and this probably applies. Well, this will apply more to mirrorless these days. But what's available on the body, there might be features that become available that are very useful to me, but they're not on the current body I'm using. Uh, previously, it's typically been the um, the resolution that I can store, the file size I can store, the megapixels, if you like. That's gradually improved over the time I've been using digital cameras, and that's tended to drive why I've changed my camera bodies. The two that I'm using right now, um, the um, EOS 5D and the um, EOS 7D Mark II, th- one of the important things to me about those bodies is that they're almost identical in the way the buttons and everything else is set up on the camera. So it means I can work, be working with one, switch to the other, and everything's in the same place. And even things like my back button focus, I programmed that to be on one of the, the buttons on the back, my autofocus, where where the autofocus is set. I use the same button on both bodies. So I would actually have to look at the, at the camera designation on the front to know which body I'm using. Uh, so that, that to me is important because I don't have to think about Switching when I switch bodies, I don't have to think about how to operate the camera. So it's something to think about if you are going to um, to use a couple of different bodies. There, the other thing to think about is most mirrorless are not full frame sensors, so you effectively have a zoom on your lens, and um, the focal length that you see on the on the on the lens is the focal length you would get on a full-frame sensor or a a 35mm frame. That's generally what we use. So if we're talking about, say, a 15mm lens being a normal lens, that's on um, um, a full-frame sensor, a full 35mm-sized sensor. If you go to a cropped sensor, that means the sensor is physically smaller. And the reason you do that is you make the camera body much smaller and then the lenses can be smaller as well. So, you, again, you get back to that size and weight advantage of, of mirrorless that we that I've already spoken about. But that 50 millimeters on a crop sensor does not give you the same view as it will on a full frame. You're effectively zoomed in a little bit. How much you've zoomed in depends on the sensor you're using because they're different sizes. But it might be the equivalent of, say, a 70 millimeter or even an 80mm lens. So it's just something to think about. If you're really interested in long telephoto, then there's an advantage because the lens you're using is smaller and lighter and it has a effectively a multiplier on the um, the, the focal length that it says it is. So um, a 400 might be equivalent to over 500. It does mean, though, often that the aperture, the, the speed of the lens is a little bit slower because you've got a smaller aperture. So... Um, Again, there are trade offs. So, what what's the um, the summary? What's the advantage? I've covered a number of aspects of um, DSLR versus mirrorless. Ultimately, it comes down to how you're going to use the camera, where you're going to be using it. The size and weight advantage on the whole works, but you are going to be using consuming more battery power. So, can you get access to Somewhere where you can charge your battery regularly. Are you going somewhere where you can't charge? Do you need to think about having extra batteries, that sort of thing, and carry them with you? The biggest advantage to me, other than the size and weight, would be the AF tracking, which because I think that's really powerful on on the mirrorless, and that's something that um, I would definitely be uh, interested in using for some of the work I do. But it's again, it's not that often. So it's maybe 10% of the time that I'm shooting. That would be um, a real advantage and possibly even less. So again, with these pros and cons, you really need to look at how you use, how you're doing your photography, where are you doing it. Of all the pros and cons of both camera types, do they really apply to you? Or in in most cases, do they not apply? So they wouldn't be particularly useful. They're more the kind of nice-to-haves and they'd be useful in a few situations, but would they be critical in that situation? So, that's another thing to think about. So, ultimately, it comes down to knowing what sort of photography you do, knowing what you need in a camera and in a camera system. Because after a little while, certainly if you're using more than one body, if you've got multiple lenses and you're using the pro lenses and bodies, that can become quite expensive. So, one of the reasons I haven't changed to mirrorless yet is, first of all, my DSLR setup does work for me, even though I can see some advantages in moving to mirrorless, but also to replace what I've got, I'm probably talking in the region of 20,000 euros, $20,000 to replace what I have now with a new equivalent mirrorless system. And at this stage right now, I, I don't feel that in, that investment is justified what I have does work fine. It still gives me the results I need and I have, um, you know, I have everything I need to do the work I need to do and get the results I'm looking for. So I think that ultimately it is um, a question to ask yourself before you make any final decision. So I, I hope that's um, been interesting. Um, I'm sure this particular podcast will date <laughs> because New cameras are coming out all the time, new lenses. So uh, this whole discussion around DSLR and mirrorless cameras has been a moving target for some time. I think it's not moving quite as fast as it used to. It's something to keep an eye out for. But if you're looking at getting started, you just want um, a value system just to get started. I would probably suggest, I haven't looked recently, but um, you can get some good value uh, DSLR systems. And they're probably cheaper than the equivalent mirrorless. Or maybe even look look at buying second-hand gear because I'm sure there must be a lot as people change from DSLR to mirrorless systems or even upgrade their mirrorless uh, bodies and those systems. It puts um, cameras and lenses uh, out into the uh, second-hand market and that's a great place if you're just looking to dip your toe in the water a little bit. Um, Have a look at what's available and um, then you're you're minimising your initial investment and you're, you're you're probably going to write that investment off at some point. You're probably going to change to something else. So I would recommend going for something that's, um, you know, setting a reasonable budget and sticking with that budget. Okay, that is it. I feel I've spoken for long enough, so I hope you found that useful and I will speak to you again in the next podcast. So bye for now. Just before I go, I want to let you know that there's a couple of ways you can support me if you feel so inclined. Uh, with the podcast, Buzzsprout, which is the um, the platform I use for all of my podcasts, they have a subscription model. So if you feel that you would like to subscribe, a few dollars, a few euros, whatever, um, to the podcast, that would be much appreciated. The other option is my Patreon membership. So if you'd like to become a patron, and that starts at the price of a cup of coffee every month, you'll get access to exclusive material, behind-the-scenes material, photography tips, all this kind of stuff, depending on which tier you're at. So there is information available through my website and um, also on the uh, uh, the written text to go with this podcast. So if you choose either one, thank you so much in advance. And whether or not you do, I hope you uh, continue to enjoy the podcast and let other people know about them. Thank you very much. Bye for now.